Welcome to the Global Discussion, discussions with creatives, leaders and thinkers. My name's Simon Hodgkins and I'm delighted to be joined by Peter McPartland today. Peter, you're very welcome to the podcast. Let's begin by asking you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about the journey and all your business expertise with our international audience today. Over to you, Peter. Simon, thank you very much. Yeah, delighted to be here. Um, my career, I suppose, by and man, if I can say that, has been largely within the, the media and marketing industry, uh, primarily in Ireland. Um, and I've worked with some of the, the kind of largest, best-known agencies. From an international perspective, most of the names would be familiar, I'm sure, to m- many of your, your listeners. Uh, so people like BBDO, I've worked with OMD, the media agencies. So my background is primarily media, media planning, media strategy. So BBDO, OMD, uh, I worked for Dentsu or Cara, as it was then, um, and then ended up as CEO of Mediacom when they set up their, their office in, in Ireland. They asked me to run that. And that was after my kind of slight radio career. And I'll tell you about that in a second. So so my, my agency background, and it's been largely ad agency, media agency, uh, you know, I've ended up working on a lot of really interesting pieces of business and, and really interesting clients. Some not so interesting, it has to be said as well. But, you know, m- magnificent brands like Guinness and, you know, all of the kind of Mars portfolio and so on, just to name two. I've had a particular leaning because of my natural interest in media uh, towards a lot of kind of telco media type clients. So I've worked with um, Sky, for instance. I've worked with a lot of the radio operators, uh, people like the Daily Mail Group, uh, Media House or Independent News and Media, as it used to be. Um, and then as a result of kind of various bits of consultancy that I did with some of those organizations over the course of my career, I ended up being invited to come on board as the CEO of of Today FM. Again, for those of of your international listeners who wouldn't be familiar with with Today FM, it is still the most successful independent radio station in the Irish market. Uh, And it kind of came from nowhere, uh, unsuccessful to start with, and then built a really good, strong brand and reputation. lost a bit of luster along the way and I was asked to come in not with any background in programming as such but more from a commercial point of view but to run that organization and to be honest I originally said no um had to kick myself and say why am I saying no and just decided look I love this brand I listen to it every day I think I could actually do a job for this thing and my it's not that my advertising career was fading at that stage but I said do I want to be a 50 or 60 year old guy working in ad agencies still talking about media plans? I think there's something bigger there that I can be part of and, and influence along the way. And I spent four and a half years as part of Communicore and primarily on, on Today FM. And I have to say, I mean, they're obviously like every every part of the journey, there's kind of ups and downs. But I learned so much, so much about people, uh, managing people. Uh, and obviously learned a bit about, you know, managing radio and the personalities that go at radio. And some of the egos weren't necessarily on air. A lot of, a lot of the egos were off air. But it was magnificent. It was a great time. And it's great to see that station continues to thrive. Um, I can't say I, I was the the uh, the instigator of that kind of rebirth of Today FM. But I'd like to think that I, I did my bit, as did the management team along the way uh, at that time. And we, 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 we made some really interesting developments. We set up a sister station um, called TXFM. And for me, it was all about breeding the next generation of presenters for this really strong national brand, which had an aging presenter profile, if you like. So it was important that we almost had a talent farm of the next generation of presenters that was coming up. So I saw the opportunity to, to, to launch this 
smaller station, literally on a shoestring um, called TXFM. And uh, all of the people who were on that station at, at the time are now working either on Today FM or other parts of, of uh, the radio industry. So it was great. It was a great, great endorsement of, of, of a strategy that, that we undertook at that, at that point. Um, more recently, what's what I've done. So I went back agency side and then I, I contracted to help kind of get Mediacom up and running. And then I decided to go back out on my own. And I was consulting primarily again with media companies for a number of years up until the beginning of COVID. Uh, obviously, a life changing event for the globe and for individuals and companies and so on. And a pal of mine who both of us used to work together in, in BBDO, uh, Una Herley, we established this thing uh, called the Indie List. And the Indie List, or the list, as Una originally uh, called it and, and was the founder of, uh, was designed to try and help people, freelance marketing people and freelance creative people find work uh, when the first lockdown hit uh, during COVID. So if you remember back all those years ago, only two and a half years ago, uh, where work for particularly independent workers just fell off a cliff. And Una as she said, sitting in her hammock in her back garden said, look, all of these frontline workers are doing amazing work. What can I do as a as a marketeer, as people, as somebody who has really good network? So we spoke and I said, look, I think there's the basis of something that we can both do that will help people get work, but might also be the germ of a kind of a long term business idea. And we just kind of set out, bootstrapped the idea, um, launched it, thankfully. <laughs> Thankfully, with no great understanding or knowledge of the global freelance market, because I think if we realized then what we know now, we probably wouldn't have launched it, certainly not launched it as a business. It is such a vibrant market. There's so many different competitors internationally. There's so many big players like Fiverr and Upwork and TopTal. Uh, there are so many niche players. But we plowed on regardless because we didn't know anything about it. we've heard it. We heard of Fiverr. In fact, I'd used Fiverr at one, one point, but never considered it as a competitor uh, and never considered the diversity and the opportunity that something like freelancing presented as a business. Um, so we plowed on and we got a great kind of um, tailwind of support from both the communications agencies, uh, the media industry in Ireland. And then clearly freelancers themselves who are looking for opportunities to find new work. And thankfully, with the networks, both myself and Una had, we were able to deliver work for them relatively quickly. Um, and it's gone like a rocket since then. It's just been a revelation, to be honest. And every day has just been, I would say it maybe a couple of times in this podcast, a school day, Simon. But um, it, it's been great. And we've we've had so much support and we get so much satisfaction out of it. Uh, we may not be getting rich, well, maybe not yet, but we're uh, we're, we're we're really you know happy with with the, the the impact that we've made so far, and you know I, I think it's been recognised by our peers, not just even locally but globally as well, which is even more uh, fulfilling from that point of view. So sorry, that's a long intro. It's a great intro, um, Peter. I I really like uh, what yourself and Una are doing at the Indie List, and I'm not just saying that because. We were talking a little bit before we started recording this episode today. And one of the things that I shared with you is I think there's a real love for the brand. I think there's a real feeling of people wanting to support what the Indie List is doing. And it was born, I suppose, out of almost necessity. Uh, you know, the, the freelancers, the talented artists, the people that were able to do the, these this sort of more creative type work, maybe. I found it extremely difficult uh, during the pandemic. 
But also, I think there's been two elements driving this, and you can you can tell me if I'm right or wrong here. But from just from my my view of, lo- of looking at the landscape here, people want to use creative freelance talent uh, for lots of reasons. Obviously, there's the cost. Some, you know, it can be much more cost effective than having to hire people, and then you've got them for a long time when you may just want them for a particular project. But also you want the skill and the talent that a a specific person may bring to a specific project. And often that's quite difficult and it's very hard to hire somebody who has absolutely everything that you're looking for. So having this list, uh, the list as it was originally called, or that's a bit like the Facebook and just call it Facebook story, the indie list um, as it is now, I I think, um, it gives you this range of skills and expertise. It can save you time. It can save you money. So that's the one half. And the other thing I want to maybe suggest is that there's been a big shift in the way people work. You know, my father's generation and my generation to some degree, you got a job, you might have two or three roles throughout your career. You tried to make a living. You tried to make some money. If you got lucky, you made a lot of money or you went and worked for yourself, right? Yes. Whereas today... I think more and more people are thinking about who they work for, how they work, when they want to work, what their situation is, where they work from, and the type of work they want to do. And I don't think, and I could be wrong here, Peter, you know more about this than I do, but I don't think there is the same leave school or college, go into employment, work for the rest of your life approach to it anymore. I think it's very fragmented, and I think people like to live almost a nomadic freelance lifestyle in some cases, particularly in the area of the creative fields, the creative arts and the creative talents. So am I completely off message here or how's no, this? Not at, all, not at all. I mean, you, you, you've kind of captured there a lot of the things that we've seen and we're not just see it's not unique to Ireland. It's, it's happening in every other developed market right across the world. It's happening at a faster pace, maybe in places like the States and some of the markets in, in mainland Europe, it's happening in India uh, so it, it is definitely a trend. And I think, you know, we talked about it slightly earlier that COVID has, for all the bad things that COVID brought, it kind of unleashed a lot of kind of embedded thinking around the way in which people believe they had to work and which companies believe they had to work on their behalf. So what we've seen more and more is that there's a greater acceptance now because of what happened during COVID that full-time workers weren't based in an office or based in a factory or wherever they were before they were working from home. So I think more and more companies were accepting of the fact that, first of all, they didn't need to have their own workers working in their place of work. They could get just as much and better work sometimes from the people working at home. And then it was a realization that actually maybe you don't need for certain types of roles and certain types of skills, you don't necessarily need to have them on your books every day. Uh, And sometimes you just need to bring people in that would be a catalyst to a project or a catalyst to your existing team to overcome a, a blockage or whatever. So bringing in, particularly around things like e-commerce, we saw quite a bit of it during 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 um, during COVID, where you know to use that awful word pivot, you know, retailers were having to pivot suddenly into being specialists in e-commerce, but just couldn't couldn't find the skills or couldn't recruit them quickly enough. And we found people for various uh, Irish companies at the time that would help them get into the e-commerce space relatively quickly. They weren't on their books. They were charging them, charging them a decent amount of money, but they were still much more cost effective than having them on, on their books for forever and a day. 
And I think you're right. I mean, what what people have begun to realize, particularly, I won't say older people, but more professional workers who've been at it for some time, is that you know a combination of burnout, a combination of ageism, a combination of being removed from the work that they really enjoy doing in a large corporate. They might have the corner office, they might have the big salary, they might have the car and all the other so-called perks, but there are, the satisfaction attached to work had kind of evaporated over time the more you moved up the kind of corporate ladder. And what we were seeing, Ms. Evanuna, was that a lot of the people that either we worked with or wanted to work with when we were working in BBDO, you know, the people that you'd say, oh, geez, I'd love to work with that creative person or that planner or, that, or whatever, they were working for competitors. But what we were seeing over time was that some brilliant people were now kind of, I won't say footloose and fran fancy free, but they were free of the con constrictions of working in competitors. So you could almost put together a fantasy football team, if you like, of the best talent around town to, you know, work on behalf of clients or work on behalf of, 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 of agencies even, because agencies are a big employer still of, of freelance talent. Um, and I think what also people realized was that, you know, fitting work into your life was more important than fitting life into your work. Because, you know, a lot of people were working to live, not the other way around. And I think COVID kind of shook those assumptions for a lot of people and said, look, I need to get things back into kilter again. Um, you know, money clearly is important. And, you know, I won't for a moment say it's not. But thankfully, or shouldn't be the driver, particularly for people who've been working in, in the business for a long time. It shouldn't be the only be all and end all. I think a lot of people realize that, uh, that, you know, the motivation is we spend so much time working that the satisfaction you get out of work, uh, you know, if you're not getting that, if the, you know, the workplace is toxic, if the people you're working with, the boss that you're working for is toxic, you know, don't hang around. And people have much more choice now. Um, uh, there are much more. There are many more people who will employ you for the expertise that you have than than ever before, and through companies like the Indie List and so many others, uh, that opportunity has never been better. You know. Yeah, thanks, Peter. And I suppose with the Indie List, you, it works both ways, doesn't it? Because you know, for somebody in a in an organisation, a corporate, you know, a multinational, or somebody running a local ad agency in Ireland. You can go on, you can find the talent, the expertise that you want, and you can sort of get it, get access to it right there and then from yes. a credible source. But it works the other way too, doesn't it? The free, the, the talent can actually go on and find work. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And what, what we, what we did, I mean, as we keep saying, we're building the plane as we're flying it. Um, you know, the, the first thing that we focused on was building the community, you know, and people talk about communities and they are hard to build and look, we struggle with it can't say it's perfect. Um, we have this kind of mantra of earn, learn, and connect. Most people, no matter what marketplace or platform or whatever in the jobs market they sign up for, they are there to try and earn more money. That's primarily what they're there for. We don't have jobs. We have 1,200 people on, on the indie list at the moment. Uh, it's grown quite like a, say like a rocket, um, maybe small in the context of global markets, but they are focused on the, on the marketing services area and all very, very skilled. But we've spent a lot of time, certainly in the last 12 months, trying to build a community aspects of it because we don't have jobs every day for everybody on the list. But what we've tried to be is a lighthouse brand for people who've chosen to go the freelance route or people who've been freelancing for some time because it can be a pretty lonely existence. What are the things that we can provide to for the indie list to be a kind of a soft landing place for those people? 
So what advice can we give them around tax and insurance and training and connecting them in with other people? So that's as much of that as as a place to earn money. And that's what we're, we've been very focused on. And I think we'll, we'll be even more focused on over the course of the next couple of months. But look, we can talk about that later on. Yeah. But at the same time, what we were trying to build was our brand. I know it can be a bit kind of cliched and, you know, maybe negative in some people's eyes, but you do need to have a kind of a brand, obviously personality or persona or whatever. And we've tried to build that from day one. Look, that's our business. That's what we've been doing for so many other people. And it has to come. It's not just a kind of a logo and a set of words. It has to be the thing that you absolutely believe in. The thing that myself and interestingly, the thing that the first thing we did when we said we were going to double down on this thing was that we would separately write down our set of principles. What are the things, Una, that you believe represent what you stand for in business? And I'll do the same. We'll go off and do that and we'll see what they look like. And we came back with nine things and they were literally the same. And I said, that's it. We, we're both on the same page. Now, sometimes it's always, and you have to have a bit of friction in business in the nicest possible way. But, you know, from the outset, we knew what we stood for or wanted to stand for. And I think that that's very much reflected in what the IndyList brand is. And also the kind of love, I think, that we've managed to build up for it, both amongst our community, but also people who support us, you know. Yeah, thanks, Peter. You make some very interesting points there. And to add, to add to that, and maybe to go into it a little bit more, the one thing that I read with with interest was your your survey. Uh, you released a, a survey, you know, the 2023 survey, yes. the Indie List Freelancer. And there's some interesting facts and figures there that I that I thought was incredible. And one of the things that stands out to me is obviously that one in seven out of ten freelancers, sorry, within the marketing communication sector, they reported a rise in projects over the last 12 months. So that yes. there's more work. And yeah. then coupled to that, um, there was another statistic that jumped out at me that said about the average gross earnings for marketing freelancers. Mm. was was higher than I would imagine it, it would have been. Uh, now, yes. I know it's a combination of maybe some of their own clients and the work that they got from the indie list. I get that. Absolutely. But yeah. overall, the average, that their earnings were up 12% year on year. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I think is quite interesting because when we think of COVID pandemic lockdowns, we don't necessarily think about a growth in business. And you've used the term, you know, our business has rocketed and you've you've added many more people to your platform, many more specialists to the platform. Yes. But not only that, it's not just, well, we've added more people. It's, you know, seven, or t- seven out of 10 of the freelancers are saying, well, hey, I'm, I'm busier than I've ever been. Yeah. And also I'm making more money than I've ever made. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, t- 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 I think I, the note that I put in the survey at the time was that clearly samples are going to change from year to year. I think the makeup of the sample might have, might have slightly influenced the increase, but I think nonetheless, what we have seen is that there are more companies, more enterprises, I should say, using freelancers in our experience in 2022 than there were in 2021. And that's back to the point I was making. I think there's a greater acceptance by companies that you can bring in a really highly qualified freelancer for a couple of days a week, albeit and pay them a higher rate then you would not necessarily pay somebody who's on your full-time payroll, but they'll still work out and make a bigger contribution to whatever project or, you know, blockage that you've come up against to help you move a project on than, than, than uh, you know, hoping to hire somebody that could take three to six months to, to, to get on board, you know? So I, I think that's, that's a real significant change. And it's taken a while for it to happen in Ireland. We've seen it 
happened quite a bit. You know, we have really good colleagues in, in the States and elsewhere, and they're saying that's the way it's gone and that's the way it will go in, in, in the Irish market as well. Um, so it's really encouraging. Yeah. yeah it's, you, you, for, for every positive story you'll hear from a freelancer, you can equally hear a negative one. Mm. So, so it's not uniform. You know, there's a lot of people we know who are on our platform who are maybe not who for their own good reasons have chosen to to paddle their own canoes, we'd say. So not everybody's doing well. And we're we we're very, very aware of that. And that's why we tried to provide those other things to try and help freelancers. So we speak to people every day who are thinking of signing up. We don't force people, we can't force people to sign up and you can't force people to do anything, but say, look. We may not be able to find work for you, but why don't you join up anyway and come along to our webinars, come along to the kind of free advice sessions, because it can be a pretty lonely existence when you're working on your own, as we all know, you know, that uh, the cliche of, you know, imposter syndrome. It's true. It's, you know, people go through that um, and you kind of need the comfort of hearing stories from other people. Um, and that's what we've we've tried to do with the Indie List as well. Yeah, and I, I like the fact that you also split it down between sort of the full-time freelancers, you know, the people where this is their gig, this is what yes. they do. Yeah. And then you have sort of like the consultants or the people that might go in for a particular project. And then you've also got the, I think you you term them as the side giggers, right? Side the, giggers, the, yeah. The people yeah. That, that sort of do things now and again, uh, freelancing while they might have something else going on. Yes. Uh, so it, it is mixed. I understand that. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And it, look, there, there, there's not a there isn't one type of freelancer in that sense. Um, and that's why we, we've started a program now with with some of the marketing colleges um, where we think there's a real opportunity for young talent who are coming through the colleges, particularly as say the marketing and tech colleges to consider freelancing while they're looking for their, for their, their, their first full time role because they have amazing skills. You know, if we take TikTok alone, there's very few people on the indie list, and I'd say very few people in a lot of other marketplaces that understand TikTok as well as somebody who's in college or maybe just going to college. And we just think, look, you could get probably earn money more freelancing or side gigging for something like that than you could be working in the local, you know, Londis or Super Value or, or Spa or whatever, you know. So it's encouraging, you know, younger people, particularly not to say freelancing is a career. But it's an opportunity to develop a portfolio before you go into a full-time career and also earn some decent money along the way as well. Yeah, I think that's a very, a very important uh, point that you make because I, I was talking to a, a freelance illustrator only uh, in the last week or so and uh, very talented, extremely talented illustrator, illustrates many, many books and has brought, brought out his own book uh, early this year. But he was saying that, you know, and he, I think he posted a video on his YouTube channel about it too, that... You know, it's been a very quiet January and February about it. But because he's he's sort of a seasoned person that works this way, he knows not to panic. You know, he knows yes. the, the work will come. Now, it's not easy because obviously you, the, the money ebbs and flows too. Yeah, the bills have to be paid. Exactly, yeah, exactly my point. But the, I suppose that comes along with, and I know it's one of the things that he in particular values, which is the flexibility and the independence. That's it. Yeah. And that, that is a big driver. And I think particularly I mentioned the age thing uh, earlier on, but look, it is a factor. Uh, a lot of the really senior people that we have on the indie list are people who've been squeezed out of large corporates by holding companies and so on uh, because they've been seen as an expensive overhead. But they've so much embedded knowledge and really brilliant skills. They're basically a loss 
both to the marketing departments of, of clients, if that's where they've come from, or from agency life as well. And we've just seen all this talent. And for some of them, like you, you would probably know some of the individuals if we named them, which I won't, but they've kind of got a new lease of life as a result of being, us being able to put them into roles that they say, that's the type of work I really enjoy doing. And I got removed from it when I was part of a larger corporate, albeit being well paid for it, but there was little satisfaction in, in what they were doing, you know? So, um, so yeah, it's look, say so we get so much satisfaction out of helping people to find work and just some cases kind of talking them down off the ledge and say, look, there is a good, just bear with us, you know, or, or trust yourself, trust your instinct. You have to back yourself. And, uh, you know, there, there is a job out there for you. Yeah. No, thank you, Peter. And the last thing I want to ask you on this in particular is obviously you work with Una. Now you worked together before back in agency land. Yes. Uh, yeah. And you, you're coming, you know, you're both bringing a wealth of experience to it, uh, whether it's media or agency work or client side. But I'd just be interested because you're also building this company yourselves. And you you mentioned yes. earlier, you know, you're kind of building the airplane as you're flying it sometimes when you're building yes. a business. Um, but you've done such a great job and there's such a such a support for the indie list. And it's so well known uh, here. Uh, you know, it's so yes. well known as a credible, reputable source and company. I'm just wondering how you and a, how you and Una go about that from a who does what perspective. How does it actually work behind the scenes? Could you share a bit of insight there? <laughs> Well, we, we, we look, we, we, we work hard on it every day, um, but we enjoy the work. We, we have another really good person who works with us, Amanda, uh, who came to us as a freelancer, she came from South Africa. She was manager of talent in FCB in, in Johannesburg. Uh, her mom is Irish. Uh, she came over here to mind her mom, her elderly mom, and she signed up with the Indie List. And we just felt she's a brilliant person, great organizer, great manager of talent, lovely, as we used to say in the agency, great bedside manner talking people down off the ledge and she manages her community. So when people are signing up, she helps them complete their profiles and so on. And she helps us to put together kind of short lists of talent, but the way in which we generally kind of split it up, we, you know, we both take briefs from clients. We're looking at so far, we have a brilliant piece of software that kind of powers our, our database, our powers the indie list called WorkSuite. And that allows us to, to, if you like, categorize the, the workers and skills and so on. So we can get to a long list pretty quickly. But then myself and Una and Amanda, to a lesser extent, have to kind of curate the lists. So we don't go back to clients with 10 names. We usually go back with two names of people that we are happy to stand over that have passed a kind of indie list test. So we have a number of criteria. We you know, clearly look for testimonials and previous experience and so on. And then we share those with the client. But so a lot of my work would be around the marketing of the indie list brand. Una does a certain amount of that herself. A lot of Una's work then is around kind of servicing client needs. So we don't, we, ha we haven't made it kind of a hard and fast rule. Some days I will do that and she does the other bit. But so, but over time, look, as the business is scaling, like any business, it's always that challenge of how do you maintain the, uh, the thing that's made it special? You know, if we could replicate what Una and I do and create the robots or whatever. But look, it's 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 part of our plan. We're, we're, we're doing some interesting stuff. We're working with one of the universities at the moment to help us scale the business without necessarily having to, because we just don't have the funding to, to you know, add 10 or more people to it. Um, but there's some interesting developments we hope to be able to announce later on in the year on that on that front. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you, Peter. And it's I know Amanda Mori is doing some great work on the community side. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
And thanks for giving us a little bit of insight into the the behind the scenes because yeah. it's a little bit different. Some of the other competitors that you mentioned earlier, I I don't know whether I'd term them in uh, as full competitors because one of the challenges I see with some of the brands that you mentioned is you kind of hire somebody and then you hope it's going to work out. Yes. Uh, whereas with the indie list, you're almost doing you know you're passing the indie list test. You're kind of being almost pre qualified. You come in with almost a a check mark, a, you know, a quality sort of mark with it. It, it. Does that make sense? It does absolutely. And and that's if you like our secret sauce. Um, our challenge is how do we replicate that over time as the business grows, as demands grow from clients. How can Una and myself? stay close to that kind of curation of that final list so the client doesn't have to wade through 10 names if they went to one of the global platforms. I think that's been a big turnoff for a lot of clients. Is that That's great. I can get this person in Indonesia to do my logo for $50, but, you know, and their portfolio looks great, but I'm not, you know, there's another guy over here who does them for $25. So, so we're all about, I think some of those bigger platforms without dissing them, I won't name them, but they kind of commoditize the talent we're very much about the talent getting the value for the work that they do and the contribution that they make. Um, and I think a lot of companies like ours that we have a really close affiliation with are of a similar, similar frame of mind that, you know, people who've chosen the freelance route free and freelance, sorry, fr freelancer doesn't mean free or low cost, or it shouldn't mean, unfortunately, that's a tag that that's gone with it or, or over years. And, you know, we, and I think a, a number of companies like us are, keen to get away from that freelancing is good value i think for most enterprises but it shouldn't be low-cost labor for for the people who are doing it i think that's such an important point peter thank you yeah. for sharing that yeah. yeah um the other thing i want to just touch on as well um because i don't want to run out of time with you today and i do okay. want to ask you a few other I'm things talking but, too much this is but, but, no it's not bad it's just I, there's so much i could ask you and one of the yeah. things that's on my mind as you're talking is because, you know, you've been the CEO of a national radio station, right? You've been involved in the ad agency business for many years. You know, you bring in an awful lot of expertise, knowledge, wisdom, uh, and insight to the table. But you mentioned TikTok earlier, you know, and you were talking about maybe that younger person in college or coming out and starting to work uh, maybe in, a, let's say, not a, not a high-paying job initially, and they could probably make more money from doing that side gigging. Um, but I suppose the world's the world is a little different, isn't it now, Peter? Because when I think back to when I got involved, you know, many, many moons ago, it was print TV and radio predominantly. Yes. You know, it was a bit about above the line, below the line, invest in your brand. And yes. I don't want to simplify it. There was a lot of smart people involved in terms of the creative and the copy. Yes. But it, it wasn't this fragmented world where there's a new app popping up every two seconds. There's a new platform to think about. There's a change of owner on the social media platform or chat GPT and AI coming along. Yes. So when you look at it from your, you know, your perspective of working with all these creative freelancers on your list mm. and sort of the more traditional world, it's almost as though they're colliding to some degree. Because if you'd have said to me, and I was talking to somebody recently, if you'd have said to me that there was going to be chat GPT prompt engineers and that was going to yes. be a gig that you needed to hire somebody for, somebody that could write a prompt so the AI engine could actually give you a better output than the next company or the next the next client. Or yes. if you just said, we need a drone pilot because we need to take video in a certain manner. These things didn't exist 10 years ago. No, at all. Yeah, yeah. And it's very, it's difficult. So that the old traditional agency model where it all had to be under one roof and then media 
split off into its whole kind of media independence route. Um, but even now, like we deal with a lot of the, the 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 agencies, both the big international ones, but also the the medium to smaller niche ones who who earn good money. Um, but they, they all find it really difficult to keep on top of the skills gap uh, or the skills demand, I should say, from from clients. It's impossible to have you know the drone pilot or the, the drone expert or the TikTok expert or the Chat GPT prompter on your on your uh, payroll because. You know, not not every client needs them or wants them. So where are you going to go? As we keep keep saying, you know, work needs to get done. And despite all of the kind of layoffs, either quietly or not so quietly that have gone on in the corporate world over the last couple of months, you know, work still needs to get done. And if the if people as freelancers are positioning themselves properly and they're skilled enough and eager enough, uh, I think the work is there for them. Absolutely, you know. Um, and I think there's more opportunity now than there ever was because of those kind of because of what's happened to media and communications and culture and so on. Um, I, I I was at a talk this morning by a man called Mark Little. I'm not sure if you know Mark, but Mark was the founder. He was former CEO of Twitter in Ireland. He founded Storyful, uh, which was bought by the Murdoch Empire. And then he, he founded a thing called Kinzen with a partner of his. And both of those were designed to kind of qualify the deluge of content and misleading content that obviously has been part and parcel of, of the internet and verify it. So verify video in the case of Storyful or verify all sorts of content, content in the case of Kinzen. But we're having this conversation around the way in which like media is very much, there's always inflection points. But for me, there's big inflection points at the moment in media. Everybody seems to be losing. So you know, the days when TV was losing to streamers and radio was losing to Spotify and newspapers were losing to Google and Meta. Meta are losing. Google are losing. Spotify is not exactly setting the world on fire. No dis disrespect to your posts of your podcasts and so on. Um, subscription model is under threat. You know, there's very, very few people gaining. You know, it was always somebody won or somebody lost. Now everybody is kind of... And it, the, the point he was making is that, you know... I think there's a realization by audiences to a certain extent that, you know, there has been so much misinformation and misabuse or abuse of media and media power that, that there's a kind of a gravitation towards sort of trustworthy sources of news. And he believes they will be paid for. I'm not so sure. Uh, I'd like to I'd like to believe that they will. But also then you have kind of fragmentation into kind of, you know, hate speech and ultra right wing or ultra left or whatever it might be. So there's all sorts of, it, it really is an unusual time at the moment in, in, in the media world. Um, and for me, as somebody who's kind of lived and breathed the uh, media business, and it's a business that I love, it's uh, it's just a really, really interesting time. It's scary in parts, but I think, you know, for people entering the business who are thinking of, of media as a career, I would say to them, there's never been a better time to consider media. And, you know, sometimes, looking inward you'd go it's not a business that you want to be in i think it is i think there's always opportunity for really sound creative uh people who are have keep an open mind you know i really really do um yeah so anyway that's my two two happens no, I, I, I think you're spot on i i, I agree yeah. with what you're saying there because I, I think some people can thrive in that chaos they can they can pinpoint a way through that um and I think the other there's a, a, a democratization of media. There's a democratization of content. Yes. And maybe some of the big players may may or may not be as powerful. There's obviously a 
a human element in here where there's a very divided, whether it's news content or politics, pick the country. There's, you know, there's yes. challenges everywhere. Uh, and I, I know Mark, what the work that he's doing, I think he did some great work with Kins and, and, and of course, Storyful was a huge success story yes. for him. And, um, but I do, I do think in terms of the, the fragmentation of all the platforms, the skills are very different. Now you can become a specialist in one particular niche of a particular area. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and it takes somebody time and learning as opposed to maybe, well, I've worked at XYZ for 30 years. Mm. That's that's good in some contexts, but also it's a little bit about, well, show me what you can do, I think is yeah. maybe part of the discussion now. Um, and the other thing you mentioned about the the ad agencies trying to keep up with the talent gap, I think that's very true because I can remember a time in Ireland specifically where the big, well-respected ad agencies hadn't a clue at some of the newer stuff coming through. I mean, they hadn't yes. a notion, yeah. uh, particularly around social media, for example. So what they did is they all decided, they all went out and bought a small enough company that was just about making enough money to keep yeah. the lights on. And they put them in the muse at the back of the HQ and they bolted it on. And then all of a sudden it became part of the portfolio because they were, you know, yeah. they had enough cash on hand or enough stock to make those deals happen. But it doesn't seem to be the same logic now. You know, it's not the same as just bolting on a little agency anymore and just adding it to the services that you offer. It seems to be a little bit different now, Peter. It is very much so. Yeah, there, there was definitely a period within the kind of holding company model where it was acquired. If if we don't have them internally, then acquired them. There was enough cash uh, washing around the, the big holding companies to to acquire those niche companies. And inevitably what happened was that the most talented people, the founders usually, you know, the, the day that they were bought or as quickly as they could, they, they you know, went off with their saddlebags full and, and maybe set up down the road with something else. You know, I, I believe, for instance, the, the lads on Instagram who set up Instagram and then obviously subsequently bought by Meta or Facebook at the time are now setting up what, from what I understand, is the equivalent of Storyful. Uh, it's kind of vetting news content and making sure it's all about board. So it's interesting how these things happen. And uh, But I think what's happened now with the big kind of holding companies, whether that's in the PR world or the advertising world, is that they have they just don't have the cash anymore to, to acquire those kind of niches. They were rolling them out new business pitches and say, we have this brilliant expert who can do, you know, has this black box technology or capability to answer all of your kind of social media ills. And the clients weren't buying it. They're saying, I, I can get that from somebody else. I'll hire the best. I don't necessarily want to hire your social media expert or your you know, motion graphics person or whoever it might be. I'll hire my own. Thank you very much. You know, um, So clients were almost picking their own kind of fantasy football team. Uh, and now, even more so with freelance freelancing, they, they can do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, your, your story about Instagram being sold. Um, I believe, and I can't remember the exact number, but it was something tiny. I'm going to say 13, but I might be completely wrong. The amount of staff that were there at the time, it was a very small, agile, nimble business that was very yes. technology-focused and became a global success. And, it, I mean, they paid a lot of money for it, and maybe the guys could have held on and got more in the long run, but they certainly made out very, very well, and it became such an important part of now the meta portfolio. And, uh, yeah, and those guys, like you were saying – they stayed around for a little while with the purchasing company and then they, they exit and yeah. they're on to the next thing, you know? Yeah. Got moved to the, the muse building in wherever in Silicon Valley and then said, oh, exactly. here, let's move exactly. on. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, look, thank you, Peter. That's been that's been great. I want to ask you a couple of other things, if I can. I want to just ask course, you yeah. a few other things. I want to ask you about your own learning style, because yes. obviously you've been involved in an awful lot. Um, but when it comes to keeping abreast of what's happening, do you do you like to? Are you scouring the internet? Are you listening to audio books? Are you a, 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 you know a reader? Do you pick up a book? Uh, do you yeah. read for pleasure or business? Or at the end of the day, you've just had enough. You need to turn on Netflix. How does it work for you? <laughs> Um, I, I'm voracious reader, uh, of all sorts, um, and news junkie. I'm happy to admit I'm a news junkie as well. Yeah. I kind of hoover up the news. So yeah, there's a variety of things that are kind of my, my go-to, um, around but the business I'm in as in the marketing business generally, or, or the culture business I'd prefer to kind of refer to as, so there's, there's a couple of, of kind of key media. So there's newspapers first. I'm still a old-fashioned newspaper readers so things like the irish times uh in print um new york times i get on subscription guardian on subscription brilliant publication i'm not sure if you've come across called the currency um which is a business publication uh, well it's business economics and sports it's a, it's a bit like the atlantic but it, i think it's actually better um and it's done by two brilliant guys who have fantastic contributors but anyway i think they have it really nailed uh, read there's a couple of newsletters that I, I find really really you kind of have to read them every week um, there's one on music tech business and culture called Redef I'm not sure if you've come across it but if you're interested in music and culture generally it's by a guy called Jason Hirsch, Hirschhorn I think his name is but he just has a magnificent take on all of the developments that are going on particularly in music but how they overlap into technology as well there's another another one from a man called Benedict Evans called Benedict's Newsletter. And again, a guy that, that has just an incredible grasp on what's going on in the tech world um, and putting it into, into context. Also, that kind of touches on, on the advertising and subscription market as well. And then a recent one that I've come across again, which has just been brilliant because it's close to home with the Indie List, is a thing called Recruiting Brain Food. And it's done by a man in Hong Kong called Hong Lee. Um, but somebody had referred it to me and I said, it's just been magnificent, just opening our eyes in terms of what's going on in the, the world of work market. Um, you know, we all read about the world of work and how it's changing, but this newsletter, which is once a week on Sundays, is just, it's just a great read, you know. Um, listen quite a bit to, to obviously radio, Maybe not as much as I used to when I was in the station, but you know, listen quite a lot to podcasts. Uh, re listen to your own more more frequently in recent times because obviously I was doing today. But again, compliments on what what you have achieved. But a couple of go to ones for me again on the news front would be Ukraine Cast from the BBC because of what's going on there. I think they have a really good read on, on both on the ground and, and internationally. The Stand, which is an Irish podcast by the uh, the legendary Eamon, Eamon Dunphy, um, and it's been running for a number of years. Uh, Eamon used to be a presenter on Today FM, but gets brilliant contributors from all over the world. Big into history, particularly Irish history. There's a podcast called Three Castles Burning, which is all about uh, Irish history. Fantastic. Um, and they would be the main ones, to be honest. You know, to be honest, I'd, as I listen quite a bit, walking the dog, uh, going to the gym and just reading at night and in between everything else. So, yeah, look, I, there's so many different things. Also, books. I don't read enough books, but I read the books that are really that interest me. So the ones that stand out for me tend to be more less about business, even though they have a kind of a business angle to them. Best one that I've read in recent times was by Nick Cave. Um, 
and it's called, <clears throat> excuse me, Fate, Hope and Carnage. And basically what he's interviewed during COVID over the course of two years in a very, very traumatic time, not just for the world, but for him personally. Um, his son, one of his sons had a, had a really died. Um, his second son died after the book was done. But also that kind of creative journey that he was on as a result of the influence of his of a son dying on his art. Um, but just an amazing book that I'd really encourage anybody who's into creativity uh, and even things like religion. I don't mean in a kind of a church ecclesiastical sense, but that just rediscovery of a kind of a higher being. Just an amazing book. Uh, and he's interviewed by, by a journalist called Sean O'Hagan, but the two of them are clearly friends. But he's able to ask Nick questions that nobody would ever get away with asking, you know, uh, and it's just an amazing it's, it's just a brilliant piece of meditation almost on on art and culture and on fate almost, you know, and there's some other ones that I've come across There's a great book by Rory Sutherland, who's, you know, brilliant behavioral e economist uh, who works for Ogilvy called Alchemy. Uh, and he's just again brilliant it's you know you don't have to be in the marketing business to really appreciate a book like this it just talks about the kind of the unreasonable things or the, the decision making that consumers are we all go through that defy logic um and it's how things like mar marketing and branding and prompting can can uh, encourage people to make certain types of decisions but really really recommend that book and there's another one that's kind of close to home on spotify it's called tars and economics uh, it's done by the guy who was the chief economist for Spotify. And he's just, again, kind of woven in stories about how the music business has changed and the lessons that the music business has gone through for every other business that has to pivot again as a result of, of COVID and various other challenges. So whether that's the newspaper business or the tech business, it's really, really great reads. And, uh, you know, I tend to avoid those books from the, uh, if you like, the titans of industry that, are always post-rationalized, you know, on how great I am and am I marvelous because there's always the other side to it that you never hear. So I tend to avoid those type of books, yeah. Yeah, I've I read Alchemy. I think it's a brilliant book too. I, I'd is. echo that. Uh, I haven't read Nick Cave's book. Yeah. But any journalist that can get good good answers out of Nick Cave, I admire because he was yeah. very well known for the, his fraught oh, relationships yeah. with journalists. <laughs> uh, so I, I, that's been added to my list automatically. Yes. I shall definitely dive into that one. Yeah. Um, and you've mentioned some other good ones there that I that I wasn't aware of. Um, a couple that I was, I subscribed to the currency and some of the, the news publications you mentioned, whether it's the Irish Times or the Guardian or the FT, you know, and, yeah. and I'm, I'm constantly in discussions with the other members of the family about why do I need an online subscription <laughs> and a print edition? And I just can't I still, if you've got any good answers that I can use, let me know. Yeah. Oh, look, um, when, when I used to do some work for, for independent news media, the chief executive used to say, in defense of the newspaper versus the internet, he said, we have the ultimate browser. You know, why would we want to go the route of that? the newspaper is the ultimate browser? You kind of come across things serendipitously, to use that word, uh, in a newspaper every day, that stuff that you would never thought of reading before. And yeah, I'm still an old fashioned kind of newspaper guy as well. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. I have very fond memories of going into a library when I was a student. And grabbing the the broadsheet on that, which was stuck to like a wooden hanging cane, yes. to read it yeah. because I, you know, as a student, I wasn't buying every broadsheet. But uh, uh, yeah, I've I've a certain love and passion for the printed word. That's for sure. 
yeah 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 long may continue you know obviously it's it's going through a moment um so it's it's kind of hard to see it ever getting back although vinyl records made a recovery maybe printed newspapers will as well yeah you never know you never know and i think it's 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 interesting what you're saying earlier as well because it it makes me think peter about um you know building a brand and and that trust the word trust that you used earlier yes Um, and it's so important because you kind of buy a publication because you like reading certain journalists in newspapers cases or you look forward to that newsletter from that person because it, it adds meaning and value and there's a level of engagement and you value the content. And that that all comes from that trust and that brand, doesn't it? And that absolutely. feeling part of somebody else's community. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and also kind of stimulating you, providing you with information that you didn't expect, uh, contradicting your view or your your maybe perceptions or previously held views. So you want you want things to challenge you as well. And I think that's certainly what I get or look for in in um, in the, the media that I buy. And I try to buy because, look, if you don't pay for it, then it's going to disappear. Um, thankfully, some of the newsletters are still free, but look, I'll probably pay for those if they do go to charge. Yeah, I, I, I was, uh, there's, a, there's a great technology guy called Leo Laporte. And he, you know, I learned from him early on, many, many moons ago, that, he, you know, you kind of got a lot of apps for free when they first came out. And why would you pay for them? You can just pay, get the free ones. But then what you realized was a lot of the free ones started to disappear. So unless you were paying for a subscription for a particular app, it wasn't going to be there next year, you no, know? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And I think you're right. It's the same with good content. It's the same with good media. If you support yes. it, it will continue and flourish. If you don't, it may not be there tomorrow. Yeah. And that's look. the same thing applies to music. I mean, we have such a brilliant music scene or music um hotbed of talent in, in the Irish market, but it's become so much, it's, it's ironic in a way, it's become so much more difficult for talented musicians and songwriters and composers to make money. But the industry has never been, as in the output has never been better in the history of Irish music, certainly in my kind of understanding of it, it's never been better. Literally across every genre, there's an equivalent Irish artist that's as good, if not better than some of the international ones. Um, Now, some of your international listeners might disagree, but unfortunate thing is very, very few of them are earning money. Uh, and it's not Spotify. Spotify's problem. Um, you know, Spotify has given exposure to acts that sometimes would never get get international exposure. Um, but yeah, the model is uh, it's not great, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. But so I make a point. I go to to quite a lot of gigs. Tend tend to be smaller gigs, but buy the buy the album, buy the buy a bit of merch because sometimes it's the only way in which the artist can actually make a bit of bit of money. You know. Well, for any anybody who's interested in music, I did a, a great. I'm not, I'm not plugging my own thing here, but I did a great episode with the uh, Tom Morley, who was the founder, or one of the founders of Scritti Politti. Yes, the, he was yeah. the drummer, very very um, key person. But during the discussion I had with him, he shared with me the story of how the band actually got its first record deal out. Um, sorry, get its first airing on the BBC and the story yes. is mind blowing how that band ever made it is incredible because they were turned down by the record studio. They couldn't get a deal yes. and they had to go and make their own first indie record. Yeah. Um, no pun intended, but they had to yes. go and make physically make a record and hand it to the doorman at the BBC and say, Hey, could you give that to the, the DJ? Ask him to have a listen. Yes. And they were listening to it on a little wireless uh, in a, in a pub 
um, that evening, just sitting there hoping that it would get played. You want it's honestly anybody who's got any interest in the music industry, have a listen to Tom Morley. He's one of those creative geniuses that um, yes, is doing a lot yeah. of good in the world. You know, great yeah. thinker. Um, well, I, I know we're, we're nearly stuck for time, Simon. I don't know how, but you can cut this out if you like. But we were lucky enough in the first couple of months of the indie list to persuade Bob Geldof to be a judge of, of a, a initiative that we came up with called the Indie Spirit Award. So we asked our, our community to come up with a some idea to, to promote the, the spirit of independence. And we were able to persuade Bob as a former freelancer to be the judge, but also to be the prize. So the winner would go over and meet Bob Witness Avenue in London and uh, spe- ha- you know spend what well, we thought maybe half an hour he'd come along and shake the hand. But he's, he's, he stayed for over two hours at lunch and told us some incredible stories. And obviously we asked him, it was Christmas time, we asked him about Band-Aid. But back to the Band-Aid story, and not dissimilar to what you're talking about, it's really politi. He said Band-Aid wouldn't have happened without a BBC D- DJ deciding to play the song back to back 20 times one particular day because the song had got a certain amount of PR because of Geldof and the people involved. But it was just on the kind of a normal playlist. Um, Simon, 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 I can't think of the, the DJ's name, but anyway, he decided this was one of the best Christmas records he ever heard. And he effectively locked the studio and said, I'm going to keep playing this thing until everybody else in the station starts putting it on their, their heavy rotation list as well, you know? And he said that was the moment the thing took off. People were buying literally 20 copies in Virgin Megastores, handing back 19 because the pressing plants couldn't keep up with demand, asking people, make the donation by buying more and give back the 19 so somebody else can buy them, you know? But yeah, incredible, incredible. But uh, look, wow, yeah, that's an incredible story. Incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Brilliant. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, yeah, before we run out of time, I want to just squeeze in a couple more if I can real quick. Sure. Throughout your career, your journey, your life so far, there must be people that have inspired you along the way. Who do you who's who do you admire? Who's inspired you? Or maybe it's a, a particular type of person. Uh, what, what springs to mind when I ask you that question? Um, again, I, w- I won't kind of credit the kind of usual kind of gurus and so on that, that you know, again, have their own kind of flawed pedigree along the way. I mean, but the people that really inspired me and I think inspired our family were our parents, you know, and I think we all are kind of products of our upbringing. We've been we were really lucky. We had, you know, we came from, you know, I'm not going to give you the Angela's Ashes story, but a working class background. Our, our, my, my dad was a plasterer. My mom was a seamstress. But they always kind of instill in us that kind of belief in in working hard, hard days work hard. You know, uh, you, you get paid for a hard days work, but also respect as well for for workers, regardless of the work that they did. So it didn't matter whether you're a binman or a chief executive, that everybody was deserving of respect. And I think that certainly rubbed off on me uh, in my career within the advertising, media, marketing business. Because look, we all know there's egos at play maybe on speed in, in the marketing business, particularly that sometimes you, you lose connection with reality and people get caught. You know, that awful phrase of move fast and break things, what often happens is move fast and people get broken. And, you know, my kind of style of management has always been, well, I try to be as empathetic as possible. Yes, you have to make hard decisions, but doing it in a way that's respectful of people and, you know, what people are going through, um, not making myself out to be a saint, but, you know, it's treating others as the way you want your kids to be treated is kind of a, a mantra for me, you know. So my parents kind of were, were a big kind of inspiration in that respect. My family are uh, and continue to be. 
and also in literally in every company, every enterprise, every media agency, ad agency, with the Indie List now, with Una, you know, I found people who are really inspirational, who kind of give you the chance to do stuff that you wouldn't have normally got somewhere else, back you, uh, because sometimes you're almost afraid to back yourself. Um, and that's been, again, really, really helpful. Um, and then kind of outside of that, the, the people I tend to kind of admire and respect are the people who never settle in the music and, and particularly in the music industry because of huge interest in music. Um, and, you know, people like, I know, you know, the, he may not be everybody's favourite, but Paul McCartney, uh, again, Nick Cave, I referenced earlier on. And in Ireland, we have some incredible music creators, people like uh, Donald Lunny, uh, one of the unsung heroes of, of Irish traditional music who played with Planksy and so many other groups. Uh, Philip King, who's the, you know, the man behind the Other Voices Festival, in, which is world renowned now in, in music. And even an artist like Glenn Hansard, uh, who, you know, is an Oscar winner, you know, started off busking. But again, they're the artists who never settled. They never said, well, the last album, I'll just do more of what we, I did in the last album and repeat that again. They're always looking for, and Damon Albarn is another type of, of individual like that. You know, I'm not a biggest Damon Albarn fan of type of music, but I admire him for always kind of pushing the boundaries out. And it's those type of people that, that I take kind of inspiration from, yeah. There's some great examples there, Peter. Thank you. Uh, what about advice? Uh, you must be, you obviously Don't share listen to advice, anything that advice. a man from Dublin worked in media will tell you the first piece of advice. <laughs> Very um, good. Oh, look, there's, there's a few things I would say. I mean, the, 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 I kind of touched on it along the way is, is um, you know, treat others the way you'd like your kids to be treated. So if they were going for their first job, it's not even how you'd be treated. But, you know, if your kid was going for a, for a job in a particular place or was working in a particular place, how would you like them to be treated in the way you're treating others? So I kind of always kind of take that as to very much to heart. And as a what was drilled into us over time uh, was that respect for people who are hardworking, regardless of the work that they did. Um, the, the second thing I would say to 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 hopefully your, your listeners is is to you know, stay completely open to new things. So whether that's reading stuff or listening to things like podcasts and your own podcasts and, you know, outside of your normal kind of wheelhouse, whether that's marketing or engineering or IT or whatever it is, have a listen to other stuff because it stimulates different ways of, of approaching particular problems or opportunities. And the third thing for me has always been about give young people a chance um, because, you know, I... <laughs> I was that young person at one stage. I remember the very first agency job that I managed to cajole somebody into giving me. You know, I was the only person on a particular course who was interested in media. Everybody else wanted to be a creative. And I wanted to be a creative as well, but it was not as good as the rest of them in the class. So I said media. And somebody gave me a chance. And, you know, the rest of the, the, the thing is history, I suppose. But it, it, giving young people a chance is really important. And I think back to some of the things you touched on earlier on, there are so many different and newer skill sets that younger people have that older guys like me and people like me don't have within the industry and other industries. And look, you know, again, cliche, you know, that the future is very much about, about the young and we need to trust them uh, and give, give them a chance. So I think if you have young people on your workforce or you're considering, oh, I'll just promote that person who's always been with me, give somebody else a chance. Uh, I think that's really important. And the other, that final thing I would say is don't stay in a job or move a job just for the money. Uh, I, I've tried to avoid that in my career. I've said no to many jobs. Uh, I've said no and then said yes. 
Um, but always, and I've tried to instill this into my own kids as well, don't just move for the money because the money will inevitably or should inevitably follow the talent and the expertise you're able to bring. The amount of time that you spend working will never compensate you for working in a miserable job or one that's going to ruin your soul um, because we all spend so much time working, as we all know. Um, and, you know, so many people have had their lives wrecked by, you know, wrong choices around around work and sticking in kind of toxic environments that are just bad for your health and nobody nobody needs to do that anymore i believe and now it's probably easy somebody will say for you to say that uh as as somebody sitting in a in a company in, in dublin but i absolutely believe that there are so many different opportunities now for people to earn money um but job satisfaction and life satisfaction is much more important than most of those things yeah yeah very insightful advice thank you yeah. Peter. Uh, last couple of things before we wrap up today. Uh, I want to. This podcast you... might end up as ninety minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to ask you if there's anything else we haven't touched on that you'd like to share with our audience, and also, and importantly, if people want to find out more about the work that you and the team do over at the Indulist, where's the best place to send people to? I think it, look every day we we do stuff on on LinkedIn because look we've we've found it just a, a great channel through which to communicate with our community people who are not on the indie list clients who are not clients of the indie list not saying we we populate it with crap well maybe some people think it's crap but we look we're we're doing something on the Irish language at the moment because it's shocked in the Gaelica which is the traditional time of the year when the Irish language which is only spoken by two percent of the population and uh, but it's a beautiful language we've said look. We think there's there the this this is our responsibility as much as any other company to promote the use of the Irish language. So you know, so we use things like LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is our, our probably our first go-to place, and then obviously the website indylist.ie. Um, and I'm on on LinkedIn, uh, but most of the stuff I tend to post now tends to be via the the, the Indylist LinkedIn uh, page. Pick my posts carefully when it comes to things like music and and other things. Uh, if I really feel strongly about something, then I'll post it or I want to share it. Yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, that's a nice point to end on. So anybody who's interested in finding out more, the indylist.ie for our international audiences. And of course, on LinkedIn, you can find out all the latest uh, happenings and goings on. So thank you so much indeed uh, to Peter for joining me today here on the Global Discussion. Thank you to all our listeners and people watching this episode around the world. Make sure that you like, follow, subscribe, do all the things I need you to do to help support the podcast. And I hope you'll meet me back here for more discussions with creatives, leaders, and thinkers. Thank you, Peter. It's been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you today. And thank you, Simon. Likewise, really, again, a great privilege to be on and with, with so many other great people that you've had. And uh, I wish you all the best with it. Yeah, it's been fantastic. Great chat. It's like being in the pub with you, with no thank drink. You, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, my friend. <laughs>